48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. A construction worker becomes the first person to be found guilty of rioting over last year's protests. The government appeals against Jimmy Lai's recent acquittal in an intimidation case. And staff at a Moncock restaurant are being put in quarantine after a co-worker came down with COVID. A construction worker has become the first person to be found guilty of rioting in connection with last year's anti-government protests. Sham Hu Lin Lun, who's 26, attacked an officer during a siege of police headquarters. He's expected to be sentenced next Friday. Jimmy Choi reports. The court heard that Sham punched a plainclothes officer twice and kicked him, as the policeman was surrounded and chased by protesters outside police headquarters in Wan Chai on the night of June the 16th last year. Sham admitted that he and other demonstrators used metal barriers and other items to block the exits of the police building. He pleaded guilty to taking part in an unlawful assembly, but denied charges of rioting and assault occasioning actual bodily harm. During his trial, Sham claimed he only attacked a policeman out of self-defence after the officer rushed towards him. He said he had seen the officer push a female protester to the ground and just wanted to stop him from getting to other people. But Judge Anthony Kwok rejected the self-defence claim. He said Sham had joined the battle and taken advantage of the chaos of the scene to attack the policeman. The judge said what was already clearly an unlawful assembly became a riot when the defendant used unlawful force against the officer. Shum is the first person to be found guilty of rioting over the unrest. Earlier this year, a 21-year-old man had pleaded guilty to the charge. The Department of Justice says it's lodging an appeal against this month's acquittal of Apple Daily founder Jimmy Lai, who had been accused of criminal intimidation by a reporter from a rival newspaper. Tom McElinden has details. Two weeks ago, a West Kowloon magistrate found Mr Lai not guilty of intimidating an Oriental Daily reporter at the June the 4th vigil at Victoria Park in 2017. The reporter, who'd been following Mr Lai, claimed to have been scared by the tycoon telling him he'd find someone to mess him up. But the magistrate said the reporter had not been an honest or reliable witness and the prosecution hadn't been able to prove that Mr Lai's comments were aimed at causing alarm. The Department of Justice has now confirmed its move to appeal against the acquittal. It says it can't comment further because the legal proceedings are ongoing. Mr Lai is also being prosecuted over the June the 4th vigil this year. He's one of more than two dozen pro-democracy activists facing illegal assembly charges after police banned the event, citing the coronavirus pandemic. The tycoon has another illegal assembly case ongoing over anti-government protests last year. And last month he was also arrested but not charged under the national security law. Hong Kong's recorded another nine coronavirus infections, six of them locally acquired. Officials say the source of infection can't be found for three of the new patients, including a woman who works at a restaurant in Mong Kok. Dr Chang Shuk Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection says 17 other members of staff at the restaurant will be put in quarantine as a precaution. As uh, she's working uh, during the infectious period and also she had breakfast and lunch at the workplace alone but um, still this is a workplace uh, where the police play, um, may get into each other, uh, interact with each other. Officials also say they will suspend the operation of the coronavirus treatment facility at the Asia World Expo now that patient numbers have declined substantially. The Undersecretary for Food and Health, Choi Tak Yi, was asked if it's still necessary for the government to go ahead with expanding treatment facilities in and around the site.
It's a proactive plan of the government to prepare for the fourth wave. And in fact, some of the experts uh, to the Hong Kong Asia government has warned us that the fourth wave or the winter wave may come very likely. And also we have to be well prepared for even bigger number of new cases per day, up to hundreds per day. So what is the situation, uh, what, is the, what, what is the plan that we are going to handle situation with an uh, enormous number of new cases per day? Beijing says it's lodged a complaint with Washington and will make a necessary response to a visit to Taiwan by U.S. Undersecretary for Economic Affairs Keith Cratch. He's in Taiwan for a memorial service on Saturday for former President Li Donghui and is expected to meet President Tsai Ing-wen tomorrow. Last month, Health Secretary Alex Azar became the highest level U.S. official to visit Taiwan in four decades. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Pro-democracy activist Tan Thak Chi has again failed to get bail as he awaits trial on sedition charges. Timmy Sung reports. A founding magistrate remanded Tan Thak Chi in custody earlier this month, so he took his bid for bail to the High Court. But after an hour-long hearing, Judge Maggie Poon again rejected his request. The vice chairman of People Power is next due in court on November the 17th. His colleague, Ray Chen, says the party will discuss with lawyers what they should do next. I think most Hong Kong people are disappointed about the fail of the application of bail. The government want to stop our expression of freedom. Freedom of speech and freedom of expression is the basic rights of Hong Kong people. It's the basic right of all people in the world. We will continue our process. We will uh, discuss with our legal team to take further action. Prosecutors say Mr. Tam shouted slogans such as liberate Hong Kong, revolution of our times and five demands not one less, while manning street booths between March and July. Caritas Hong Kong says a social worker has lost a USB device containing personal information on 121 students from Polytechnic University. The organization has apologized to the students affected. Maggie Ho reports. The data is on students who sought help from a family crisis support center operated by Caritas. In a statement, the center says the USB was lost on September the 4th. It says although it was a mistake made by an individual member of staff, the center must shoulder responsibility for causing public concern, and it has apologized to the students affected. The statement says it is possible that the data may have been stolen, so students who suspect the information has been leaked should call the police. Caritas says it has filed a report to the police as well as the Privacy Commission. The NGO says the social worker involved in the saga will face disciplinary action for failing to observe privacy guidelines, and a panel will be set up to look into what happened with a view to preventing similar incidents in future. Parents of pupils at a primary school in Tunmun are being asked whether they want their children to return for face-to-face classes next week after a girl there came down with COVID-19. Priscilla Ng reports. Face-to-face classes for local primary 1, 5 and 6 pupils are to resume next Wednesday. But the management of FDBWA Chao Chin Yao School is hesitant after one of its primary 6 students came down with the coronavirus. The girl had already been attending classes on campus since September 1st as a special arrangement for her learning. While the school wants to play it safe and postpone the resumption of face-to-face teaching for the girl's classmates and two other former 
reforms, the Center for Health Protection's Dr. Chuang Shukun says the risk of cross-infection is low. While she stay in the school hall, um, she's in mask, uh, she's wearing mask, and with another 30 um, also classmates uh, who sat quite far apart, and there was no interaction um, and no um, without mask activity. So we consider the other students as well as the uh, teachers are not close contacts. Speaking on a commercial radio program, the school's principal, Shem Yu Kuang, said because the school doesn't have the autonomy to decide on class suspensions, officials have told him that if some parents are indeed worried, their children can opt to continue taking online classes from home. He said he's now seeking the views of parents, adding about 120 students and staff will be tested for the virus. The Federation of Education Workers is warning there could be class cuts or even school closures because of a drop in the number of cross-border students during the pandemic. It says a poll of more than 230 schools has found that a majority have seen a fall in the number of new enrolments and nearly all have had current cross-border students drop out. The Federation's Vice Chairman, Lawrence Tang, told Joanne Wong that some schools simply can't survive without students from the mainland. So the total population of the school students just from local birth is getting lower and lower annually. So the cross-border parents or cross-border students is getting much, much important to Hong Kong education, especially for Hong Kong schools schooling. And so if the parents of the cross-border have a little confidence on our school and our Hong Kong education, they will quit, not just quit Hong Kong school, just quit Hong Kong rather than just a school. So maybe the whole Hong Kong schools of uh, every level of the schools maybe have a more and more severe situations about uh, students' enrollment in the future. Many of the schools you surveyed um, say that they expect a worsening of the situation and they're already facing cross-border students pulling out. Can you give me some perspective on how bad the situation is uh, the so-called uh, bad situations maybe uh, include two aspects. First of all, first aspect is about the epidemic situations. As all Hong Kong or all uh, the, the, the Hong Kong uh, uh, citizens see, at least Shenzhen popular health control is better than Hong Kong ones. So the the parents of the cross border maybe choose the, a more healthy, a more healthy safety safe school or an, an environment for their children so they choose to go back to Shenzhen or mainland China. And the second aspect may be the social atmosphere. Since the last year, the social unrest in Hong Kong, as you, you know, get a very big impact upon our Hong Kong school campus. Uh, maybe the parents of the cross-borders, uh, parents of cross-borders still be concerned, very concerned with our campus, so-called campus political atmosphere. So they choose to go back to Shenzhen or mainland China. Looking at the results, the findings of your survey, do you have an estimate on uh, if the situation continues, um, how bad, how many schools could potentially close or have their classes cut? I'm not sure the certain quantity of the school maybe uh, which may be close up but 10 years ago every primary school and secondary school maybe have that more than thousand students 
more than 1,000 students. But now, today, most of the primary school only have even 500 students. That's a trend. That's a very bad situation. Of There's a very bad trend in the future. That was Lawrence Tang from the Federation of Education Workers speaking to Joanne Wong. The Democratic Party says it will vote against the government's latest pandemic relief package when it's brought before LegCo's Finance Committee next week. The party's Wu Chi-Wai says the $24 billion package is disappointing and there's still no subsidy for the unemployed. He was asked if there's likely to be more filibustering in the council as well. Of course we will ask a lot of questions and, and, and see how the government will respond. But of course up to this moment we don't see the government will do anything to adjust and amend their programs. If the government will take up all other opinions, take for example, we suggest to have a new round of handouts for all the people in Hong Kong. We suggest to have to setting up unemployment subsidies program for those really unemployed. And we also suggest the government to give money directly to SME. I think that will be the direction that we can see the government will change. And then, of course, that will change our concern too. The High Court has jailed a businesswoman for 12 years after she pleaded guilty to fraud and money laundering involving more than $100 million. Damon Pang reports. Police say Wong Onni told her victims that she could buy smartphones and luxury watches at low prices and sell them for a profit. Between late 2015 and early 2018, dozens of people handed over money for her to make the purchases, but often the 29-year-old didn't even buy anything, let alone share any profits. Officers say one victim, a mainland businessman, gave Wong $65 million. This happened while Wong was on bail, having already been arrested over the scam. Senior Inspector Lo Yunshan says Wong gained the trust of her victims by making a few smaller deals with them first. The defendant is able to return the promised profits to the victim in the first few transactions, but after the victim had increased their investment amount, the defendant produced a fake invoice to show that she had already bought the Rolex or iPhones. But in fact, the defendant said that the transactions were not exist. Police say at least 35 people fell for the scam, and they also found that Wong had been involved in laundering around $288 million of criminal proceeds. She pleaded guilty to 16 counts of fraud and one count of money laundering. Damon Pang reporting. A reminder of our top stories tonight. A construction worker becomes the first person to be found guilty of rioting over last year's protests. The government appeals against Jimmy Lai's recent acquittal in an intimidation case. And staff at a Mongkok restaurant are being put in quarantine after a co-worker came down with COVID. The news from RTHK. RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Hong Kong's unemployment rate stayed at 6.1% between June and August, exactly the same as the previous three-month reporting period. Consumption and tourism-related sectors were among the hardest hit, with their jobless rates at almost 11%, the highest level since the SARS outbreak in 2003. Economist Andy Kwan from the ACE Centre for Business and Economic Research says the latest jobless figures show that the government's employment support scheme has worked. But he told Joanne Wong that the worst isn't over yet for the jobs market. 
said, the overall situation is still quite bad, economic situation. So in this case, we are able to keep the uh, unemployment rate unchanged. That's at least a good sign. It also shows the job retention program, the policy helps the labor market, at least to the extent that, like, uh, we witnessed like at least the unemployment rate stay at the same level as uh, as compared to last month. Would you be able to sh- um, give us your assessment on how much this uh, employment subsidy program has been helping this uh, employment scene in Hong Kong? The government has put a lot of money into the job market to maintain jobs. So in this case, my rough calculation is about like without the job retention program. More likely, more or less likely, I think the unemployment rate will make the historical record maybe over 9% in this case. Because like we are talking about like for the past few months, we are talking about like in several months, the slowdown in the economy is quite severe. As you can see from the economic growth in the, in the first half year, in the first half of um, 2020, I think the average GDP growth is about 9% contraction. That is quite unimaginable. It's very bad for uh, for the economy. Do you think? Uh, do you see things getting better now, especially with an easing of the epidemic situation, and also, you know, uh, the, the government trying to let some businesses reopen? Yeah, but I think the situation is better in terms of like controlling the pandemic, and uh, the government has decided to open certain uh, sectors up. Uh, for example, the uh, uh, more time for retail to operate, accommodation, and also the uh, the uh, dine, uh, the food and beverages. But we don't have any tourists. We are very slow in uh, the global recovery at, at, at this stage. There's no recovery whatsoever. So uh, some business in this case cannot survive. And you can see that like some business apply for the first stage of the job retention scheme. Now those businesses, they decide not to apply. What it means is I think the business is too bad. They cannot survive even with the help of the government with the subsidy. More or less they will decide to close down the business. In this case, you will witness um, more unemployed workers in the economy in the next few months. Economist Andy Kwan speaking to Joanne Wong. The head of hotel and tourism management at PolyU says it's surprising that Disneyland hasn't jumped on the opportunity to reopen tomorrow when anti-epidemic measures are eased further. Professor Brian King told Mike Weeks that this is a lifeline for Hong Kong's struggling theme parks, even if they can only operate at half capacity. I think this is a lifesaver for Ocean Park. I mean, they've only been open for 52 days this whole year, and we've, we've got just about three months left. So they, they really have... Uh, not been able to to do much more than than planning and this gives them a chance with their they're calling it green staycation and so on to do a bit of trialing of new ideas that can connect them more strongly with the southern district uh they can win back the hearts uh of of hong kongers so and uh, i mean hong kongers make up say with disney about 40 percent of the the patronage so if it's 50% capacity, the uh, Hong Kongers can uh, pretty much fill the fill the spaces. And again, providing they've got the risk management uh, in place, uh, I think this is an important time for them with their repositioning and uh, having a very strong focus on the local community. And what does this green staycation involve? Well, both theme parks have got very nice terrain both uh, Disney by the sea and then Ocean Park with the big uh, you know, mountain setting around Aberdeen. So I think they're trying to make the most of that. They're talking about camping, uh, glamour camping or, or, or glamping. They're talking about yoga. 
they're talking about various other engagements with wellness in the environment. Now, the challenge for them will be to commercialize that. I think they're all uh, good ideas, and I think they'll um, be appealing to the local uh, population as well as, you know, for kids going on all the rides and so on. And so I do think this is, look, not all their ideas will necessarily be successful, but with the lower capacity, it allows them to try new things out and to, to really reposition, because that's going to be very important. They can't compete with, with, with you high, with, um, um, with Ocean Kingdom for, in terms of numbers. So they really need to push this environmental sustainability angle uh, and then commercialise it. And, and what about new attractions at Ocean Park? Will that bring people back? Well, all theme parks need uh, constant innovation and new uh, and, and new uh, rides. I mean, they do say that the the water park uh, will be ready by the end of the year, so that will kind of reposition it more like a Sea World uh, type of thing. And then they have got various other new things, but I guess management has got a big, big challenge at the moment, and they're having to look at these big investments see which ones can proceed. I mean, they're moving down the track of a more resort. They've got new hotels, the Fullerton, coming online. Uh, they've got a Marriott there already. So they're, they're trying to reposition, but the, the challenge will be to position it in Asia as you know, a leading theme park that's got its own idea and appeal. Professor Brian King from PolyU talking to Mike Weeks. As the global travel industry remains battered by the coronavirus pandemic, airlines and governments are trying to find ways to allow people to travel while ensuring public safety. Italy is trialling new compulsory COVID testing at Rome Airport before some domestic flights and for certain international arrivals in order to avoid mass quarantine. The BBC's Rome correspondent Mark Lowen reports. Only passengers who test negative for COVID-19 will be permitted to board this flight. Tickets, passport and a compulsory negative test result. Welcome aboard Europe's first COVID-free flight. Final call for the passengers on Alitalia flight two. All the passengers on this Rome to Milan service need to have been tested at Rome's Fiumicino airport before the flight or elsewhere within the previous 72 hours and to show proof of it before being allowed to travel. These are the guinea pigs of Europe for a scheme not only designed to reassure passengers but also to help air travel to recover. And if successful, this could be rolled out for other domestic and international flights. I think it's better like this than just go inside a airplane without knowing if the other people are positive or negative. It is fast and I have to come to the airport just two hours before the airplane. Does it make you feel more confident yeah, about flight? Yeah, yeah, really, because even if someone has uh, the mask down the face, I feel more uh, secure and confident with the uh, other passenger. It's by chance that my flight turned out to be this one. I didn't know it was. The airline called me yesterday. I think it's a good idea. It calms everyone down, me and the other passengers. For now, two of Alitalia's seven daily Rome to Milan flights demand the negative result to board. 
a trial that, according to the airport's director, Marco Troncone, should be an example to others. We think this is a concept which uh, can actually be applied throughout Europe. I'm thinking of London Heathrow, very much exposed to uh, traffic flows to, to from the US. One of the things that didn't work out uh, during the last uh, few months is much lack of coordination. So it's very important uh, to join forces and to make uh, some step ahead, again, uh, forming clean, uh, sanitized, uh, COVID-free corridors, which do not reserve uh, any real uh, restriction on arrival. Well, this is where the COVID testing takes place inside the airport. I'm on the arrivals floor and passengers who come in from certain countries or who now want to fly to Milan queue up here, take a ticket, identifying themselves with a number, then they're led through into one of the booths to have the nasal swab. They're being told that the result comes through in just 30 minutes. It's quick, it's efficient, it's simple, and it allows Italy to get around the need for mandatory quarantine. That report from the BBC's Mark Lowen. Large swathes of forest are being destroyed by fire in Latin America. The worst affected nation there is Brazil, where President Jair Bolsonaro is under pressure as the Amazon continues to burn. Shocking images of the rainforest being consumed by blazes last year forced the government to react. The BBC's Katie Watson reports. The state of Pará has become the focal point for the rising deforestation in Brazil. And so often, after the trees are felled, the next step is illegal fires, a cheap way to clear the land for pasture. But after last year's outcry, Jair Bolsonaro slapped a ban on fires for four months and sent in the army to protect the forest. But from what we saw, it's making little difference. We've just stopped the car. There's a huge area of burnt out ground, lots of trees, absolutely dead and the ashes are still on the ground. What's probably happened is a fire that was started deliberately on another piece of land, perhaps deforested, got out of control and spread onto an area that was still virgin forest, wiped that out. It's even jumped over the road and continued. It was just one of many burnt out areas that we saw throughout the day. This in the Triunfo do Xingu National Park, supposedly a protected area. There's nothing natural about these fires. Erica Beringer is a scientist at the Oxford Environmental Change Institute. They need to be ignited, so they need to be started by humans. The problem that we are having right now is that besides we having more ignition sources, we have more deforestation fires, but then those fires may escape. But for them to escape, the forest needs to be really dry. While the government denies the forest is burning, for farmer Raimundo Freire, the fires are all too real. A cocoa producer, he walks me through the trees to the edge of his property, where the neighboring cattle farm burnt its land a few weeks ago and nearly destroyed his livelihood. They set fire to the fields after the decree was introduced. I don't know why they didn't comply with the law. They must have special contacts. They know that they can commit the crimes and they aren't afraid of anything. Small farmers like Raimundo face formidable opposition, though. 
Every small town we drove through in Para had a huge billboard with Jair Bolsonaro's face on it, a show of support for the president, a leader intent on developing the Amazon, which makes agricultural groups more powerful than ever. It's probably not your first thought when pulling on a nylon jumper, but scientists say microfibers from clothing are responsible for huge quantities of plastic pollution, both in water and on land. According to the researchers, the waste fibers shed by washing synthetic clothes over the past seven decades would be equivalent to about 13 billion fleeces. The BBC's Jonathan Amos explains. Something like 15% of all plastic is turned into very small fibers that are then woven into fabrics, polyester, nylon, this is what we're talking about. And uh, you buy this clothing, uh, you wear it, uh, and then you wash it. And as you wash it, fibres come away. They come away in the wash as uh, your trousers or your shirt, your jumper, whatever, goes through that wash cycle as it uh, goes into the water and then jumps up in the drum. Fibres come away and eventually they go down the drain and they form part of the wastewater. They are in. There's a, a plastic pollution in that stream of wastewater that goes away from your house. The scientists who've done the calculation, and it's a fiendishly complicated calculation, which we, we could talk about, but they've worked out that half of it is going into the water courses. So this is rivers, streams, eventually into the ocean. But half of it has, has gone into the land and increasingly the fibres are getting onto the land. And the reason for that is that the wastewater treatment works have become more and more efficient at capturing these fibres. Uh, and what happens is that that then forms a kind of sludge at the treatment works and they take that and they spread it on fields uh, and they, they put it in landfill. And so what used to be escaping straight out into rivers and streams and into the ocean increasingly is being caught and then put on the land. But of course, you know, it doesn't just stay there. It can become mobile uh, as well and maybe eventually get back into watercourses, back out into the ocean. So just putting it on the land is, is not, according to these scientists, uh, an end of the problem. It's just sort of moving it from one place to another. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Our hands often touch public items covered with viruses and bacteria. When we touch our eyes, nose or mouth, the pathogens can enter the body. Health is in our hands. To prevent infection, follow the seven hand cleaning steps. Rub hands for 20 seconds. Rinse thoroughly. Dry with a clean cloth or paper towel. If you can't wash your hands and they aren't visibly soiled, use an alcohol-based hand rub. What if our hands get dirty again? Clean them properly. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Take it easy and enjoy nostalgia with Ray Cudero all the way until 1 a.m.
sing number The Green Leaves of Summer Played by Johnny Pearson and his orchestra Right here on Radio 3 Nostalgia Time And the spotlight, Vic Damone Time. You must remember this A kiss is still a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by Lovers woo, they still say I love you. 